And along with that decision Sunday, starting next Sunday, we will have some sessions following the second service for anyone considering making a decision of any sort. Uh, Larry Belleville and myself will be teaching and answering questions that you might come with. So that'll be after the second service, right about 12 noon, and lunch will be provided. And so those classes will take place, or those sessions will take place each of the three Sundays prior to the 23rd. And so anyone, anyone considering a decision for the Lord, we encourage you and invite you to come to those sessions uh, right after the second service for the next three Sundays. Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, last Sunday we dealt with Jesus' birth in Bethlehem in the first 20 verses. But today we're going to continue on in that story in verse 21. And as you can see up on the slide, today's message is entitled, The, Savior, the Sacrifice, the Savior, and the Sword. Beginning in verse 21, when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ." He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Dr. John Phillips said, and I quote, 
Our Lord's first experience on this planet was one of pain. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, why did God institute circumcision for every Jewish male child that was born? And I think it was for two reasons. Number one, because of health benefits. The health benefits. In more recent times, doctors have discovered that vitamin K, the vitamin that, that is essential in the clotting of blood, reaches its peak in an infant on the eighth day. Amazing. And so, back all the way to the book of Leviticus, if you read Leviticus, the child, the male child, was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Folks, God's always looking out for his people. He always has your best interest at mind. And when you read the Bible, you come to a passage or a verse, and it seems like a restriction or like God's trying to keep you from having fun. No, God's trying to protect you so that you can have something better than fun something called joy and fulfillment. He always has our best interests at heart. So he instituted circumcision for the Jewish male children, number one, for its health benefits, but number two, maybe more importantly, this was the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. You go back to Genesis, the 17th chapter, the 14th verse, it was the mark of Israel's national identity. All the Jewish males would be different than any other males. So in obedience to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary had their newborn son circumcised eight days after his birth, and he was given the name Jesus, just as Gabriel had said both to Mary and to Joseph. Now there's something here I, I don't want you to miss right here at the outset. And that's Luke's use of the word and. <laughs> if you look at this chapter and even the preceding chapter, would you just notice how many times a verse begins with the word and? It's incredible. Just in what we looked at today in verse 21, and when eight days were completed, verse 22, and when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, verse 33, and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, verse 34, and Simeon blessed him, verse 36, and there was a prophetess Anna, verse 38, and at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks, verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, and verse 40, and the child continued to grow and become strong. Now why do I make a point of that? Well, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 3 when he's telling Theophilus what he's doing, he told Theophilus, I thought it was good based on my research and investigation to give you an account of the life of Jesus basically in consecutive order so that you might know the exact truth about the things that you've heard. 
And I think this is just Luke's way of doing that. And you might sit there and say, well, well, why is that important to me? Well, listen, the more that you can learn about Jesus, the more you're going to love him and the more effectively you'll be able to serve him. There's a lot of people in our world today who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They just know about him. And so as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, you're going to know Jesus and his story and his history, maybe better than at any other time in your life. And In fact, I hope today that you'll even learn a couple things about Jesus that maybe you didn't know before. So the title today, again, begins with the sacrifice. The sacrifice, the Savior, and the sword. But let's look at the sacrifice. Let's make sure that we know that Joseph and Mary would follow the law. They did everything God said to do. And no fewer than five times in these verses, Luke tells us they did everything required in the law. So don't miss that. Jesus grew up in a home and in a family that observed the laws of God. They did what God said to do. Is your family like that? I pray that it is. Every family ought to be like that. No matter what God says to do, that's what we do. We're not Christians in name only. We are followers of Christ. And this is an important point. That Jesus grew up in a home that followed the law, and he was nurtured in the law, and he learned to follow the law. He learned, he learned it well. Now, I know that he's God in the flesh, but he was taught, and he learned, and he followed it. And that would come in so valuable to him later on in his life. Fred Craddock said, and I quote, Later in life, Jesus would be in tension with some interpreters of the law. But his position would not be that of an outsider, but on the contrary, Jesus' own nurture in the law prepared him to oppose the flawed and hollow practices in the name of the law of Moses. You see, he knew what God had said. He knew the law. And so later on, when the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and the Sadducees were doing things apart from the law, Jesus knew they were wrong. And he could call them out on it. And he would say, you're teaching your traditions as more important than the law of God. You're adding to the law. One time he said, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus lived his entire life under the law of Moses. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. So, Joseph and Mary are following the laws of God, the, the, the law of Moses, the Old Testament laws. And verse 22 says, When the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now you need to understand verse 22 is about a month or more after verse 21. He circumcised on the eighth day. But now they come back to offer the sacrifices for the purification of Mary. Okay, 
There were other duties and other ceremonies that had to be observed connected to the birth of a child. And verse 22 makes it very clear that they are there for a specific reason. When the time came for their purification. So what's that talking about? Well, it's referring first of all to the presence of Joseph and and Jesus along with Mary. Mary, having just had a child, would have been ritually unclean according to the law for several weeks after Jesus was born. Go back and read Leviticus, the 12th chapter, all right? And it'll explain all of that. When a woman's womb was open and she bore a male child, she remained in her uncleanness for a total of 40 days. If it was a female child, she remained in her uncleanness for a period of 80 days. So you might think, well, that doesn't sound right. I mean, having a birth, that makes it sound like there's something wrong about it. Well, no. Remember I said God has your best interests at heart. Listen to how Chuck Swindoll explains this. He says, by declaring new mothers ritually unclean for several weeks after childbirth, God protected women and their newborns from potential disease due to contact with the general population. The God of Israel took good care of his covenant people. They were illiterate and ignorant slaves when he first called them out of Egypt, but he transformed them into a remarkably advanced society within a couple of generations. So, Being ritually unclean according to the law was to protect the mother and the newborn child, and that came from God. Now, according to Numbers chapter 18, verse 16, the firstborn had to be redeemed at the price of five shekels of silver. Verse 23 says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. So they would pay the five shekels of silver, and they had to offer a sacrifice. Well, what was to be sacrificed? According to Leviticus 12, verse 6, the normal sacrifice was a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering, and then a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Now, if you were poor... There was a provision. If you couldn't afford a lamb, the alternative was to take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. This is huge. One commentator said, though it's not explicitly stated in the text, it is safe to assume that Joseph and Mary paid the five-shekel redemption fee for Jesus since they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. That fee, coupled with the expense of traveling to Bethlehem and then staying there for an extended period of time, would have been a significant financial burden for this young couple. And then they gave the alternative offering, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which tells us two things. Number one, that they were poor. And secondly... They hadn't seen the wise men yet, in all likelihood. Because if the wise men had already come and brought their lavish gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh 
they could have more than afforded a lamb for the sacrifice. So, we see the sacrifice and that they offered and did everything according to the law of the Lord. Now, secondly, we see the Savior. On the screen, it's going to say servant because somehow when I was typing out my slides, my brain froze evidently. All right. So, but he is the suffering servant. He's our Savior, all right? In the middle of all this, Luke introduces us to a man named Simeon, gives us two distinct details about this man. Specifically, he was a righteous and devout man living and serving in Jerusalem. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the deliverance of Israel, the salvation of Israel. Again, let me quote Chuck Swindoll, he says, While Augustus Caesar strutted the marble floors of his palace, pulling the strings of power to suit his own agenda, and while Herod maniacally searched out and destroyed potential rivals to his ill-gotten throne by murdering all of the male children in the area of Bethlehem two years of age and under, and while religious leaders skimmed money from the temple treasury and twisted Judaism to suit their perverse lust for power, God's people quietly prayed for the coming of the Messiah. Simeon, whose name derives from the Hebrew word to hear, lived in daily expectation of Israel's consolation, which was a common messianic reference from Isaiah's writings. The Holy Spirit revealed to this member of Israel's believing remnant that he would see the Messiah in his own lifetime. End quote. So in the midst of all this mess going on in the world, politically and religiously, much like what we're going through today, God was at work. There were faithful people, like Simeon. Wasn't famous for anything. Just a faithful, devout, righteous man who just lived for God and loved God, did what was right, and he kept praying to God for a deliverer, for the Messiah to come. And somehow the Holy Spirit had told him, you won't die Until you see the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, with your own eyes. Imagine that. Imagine tonight, before you go to bed, that you hear a voice from heaven tell you, you will not die before Jesus returns. Imagine that. Some of you might have had a cold chill go down your spine when I say that, okay? But thinking, wow, that would be awesome. (laughs) It would be far beyond that, all right? Far beyond awesome. But God doesn't tell us that. Why? Well, because he wants us to walk by faith so that we'll be ready every day so that whether we die or whether the Lord returns, we're ready. But Simeon had been told You won't die until you see the Messiah with your own eyes. So every day, Simeon comes to the temple. What do you think he's looking for? A young family with a newborn baby boy, don't you think? I wonder how many times he must have asked, God, is this him? Is this him? Is that the couple? Is that that the child? Is that the Messiah? Day after day? week after week, month after month. And then the day came, and 
In walked into the temple area, Mary and Joseph and their newborn baby Jesus. Most, most scholars think that it was probably out in the court of women where the women were allowed around the temple where the meeting took place. And there Simeon met Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Luke doesn't go into all the details as to how they met. We can assume, since none of them knew each other, that the Holy Spirit arranged the meeting. He can do that, you know. He still does, in fact. But imagine this. It was in the temple where God met with His people. What a fitting place for Him to providentially arrange a meeting between Simeon and the Son that would be the Savior of the world. And somehow God said to Simeon, that's him. That's him. And verse 28 says, Simeon took the child in his arms. I mean, probably said to Mary, can I hold your child for a moment? And he began to bless God. He must have been ecstatic, knowing his prayers were being answered, knowing his dreams were coming true, holding the Messiah. I mean, this is him and so overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving, he blessed and praised God. And notice in verse 29 that his first statement is a shocker. Can you see it? Verse 29, he's holding the Messiah, and his first statement is, you can take me home now, God. I've seen him. I'm ready to die. I've been living for this moment, been waiting for this. Now I'm ready to die. Lord, you've kept your word. I've seen the Messiah. I'm ready to die now. His hope had been fulfilled. His joy was complete here. All right. He was ready to die. You can be ready to die too if you come to know Jesus. But his second statement is equally shocking. In verses 30 through 32, he says salvation is for everyone. For everyone. He's holding this little baby, the Messiah, and he says, I'm ready to die, and salvation is for everyone. Now listen, this is in the temple, folks, with all these Jewish people around, and this is significant. Verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now you need to know that the Jews believed the Messiah would be their deliverer, a personal thing, that he would come and set up his kingdom and that they, the Jewish people, would rule over all the Gentiles. That's what the Jews believed. So the reality that God had prepared his salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, as well as the glory of his people Israel, that was completely opposite of what they thought and what they'd been taught. And that was huge. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, you remember Jesus after his resurrection talking to the disciples? What are they asking? Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it at that point. Jesus had to say, my kingdom is not of this world. And the truth of the matter is he will come back someday and it will be his kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom that will have no end the kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more pain, no more betrayal, no more sin, no more taxes, no more pandemics, no more human government. Bring it on, Lord Jesus, as Andy said. Come, Lord Jesus, yeah. 
And as all of this is going on, Mary and Joseph were in awe about all the things they were learning about their son. That's all about to change because Simeon's going to bring up the sword. The sword in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and then issued them a warning. By the way, this is the first negative note in Luke's gospel. But it foreshadows the coming opposition that Jesus would have to endure, ultimately ending in him being rejected by his own people and then dying on that cruel Roman cross. Simeon says in verse 34 that this child would be responsible for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. In other words, he was destined to be the determiner of people's destiny. Or in other words, however they responded to Jesus, it would determine where they would spend eternity. It would determine whether they would rise or they would fall. And by the way, this is still happening. This is still happening. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks that you live on. Doesn't matter what you've accomplished in life, what you've created or built or whatever. The only thing that matters is what do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? Muhammad Ali died on June the 3rd of 2016. He called himself what? The greatest. But you and I know that that was far from the truth. The great I am is the greatest. One time Muhammad Ali was on an airplane and he wouldn't put his seatbelt on and the flight attendant said to him, Sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. And Ali replied and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant was somewhat witty herself, and she said, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> and so he put his seatbelt on. But here's the reality, folks. Muhammad Ali, who was born as Cassius Clay, born and raised down in Louisville, Kentucky, he committed his life to the prophet Elijah Muhammad and to Islam and to Allah, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the Bible. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? I don't know if Muhammad Ali ever came to know Jesus. And if he didn't, he's lost. Because here's the point, Jesus is the determiner of people's destiny. As Simeon said, this child is set for the rise and fall of many. And that still continues today. And yet people say it doesn't matter what you believe. Oh yes it does. It does matter what you believe, particularly about Jesus. You know, over in John chapter 1, John explains what Simeon was saying. He said in verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is the one that makes all the difference. Not only would Jesus bring separation, Simeon said he would also be a sign that would be opposed. And the name of Jesus has been bitterly opposed and cursed and hated for centuries. But it won't always be that day because the Bible says in Philippians, the second chapter, the day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in verse 35, Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I think, wow, this is the first day, the first time that we know of that Simeon has ever met Mary holding her baby in his arms, the Messiah, and he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Obviously referring to the violent rejection of her son that he would experience. It would cause her to suffer. I think her suffering probably began when Jesus began his ministry, and for three years it only got worse culminating in the cross where she watched her own suffer as no man has ever suffered and then watched her son die. Some people might wonder, well, why did Simeon address all this to Mary? Why didn't he say any of it to Joseph? I don't know. I don't know. I do know that after this account, the only other account we have of Joseph is when they bring Jesus to the temple when he's 12 years of age that account begins in verse 41 of this same chapter. And that after that event, Joseph disappears from the pages of Scripture. And so many scholars believe Joseph died while Jesus was still fairly young. Died at least maybe prior to Jesus' ministry beginning. And that may be why Simeon addresses these comments to Mary. And he says the ultimate end of it all in verse 35 was so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. One more thing I want you to know here. I want you to notice another word that begins with the letter S that I've chosen, that, and that is the sower. The sower. Because we meet a remarkable widow here named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, Scripture in First Simeon was an old man, but Luke makes it very clear. Anna was advanced in years. It says she was married seven years before her husband died and lived as a widow until she was 84. That's how the New American Standard puts it. But I think there are some versions of the Bible who said she was married seven years before her husband died and lived as a widow for 84 years meaning that she could have been well past the age of 100. So I'm not sure just what version you may be reading and how, how it puts that. But either way, the point is she is advanced in years. And Luke tells us she didn't depart from the temple, which tells us that she must have lived somewhere in the temple complex. And she spent her time there worshiping and fasting and praying night and day, according to verse 37. And we all ought to be drawing closer to the Lord the older that we get. Bible says in the end times most people's love will grow cold. 
And I think we definitely see that in our world today, but that shouldn't happen to a Christian. We ought to be growing and growing and maturing and ministering and serving and rejoicing until the day comes for us to die or for the Lord to return. But in verse 38, she comes up at that very moment that Simeon's holding Jesus in his arms and Mary and Joseph are standing there as well. And when she saw that baby in Simeon's arms, she put two and two together. And you know what she did? She started praising God. She knew what was going on. She knew who Simeon was holding. She put it all together. Anna's praise and thanksgiving doesn't end with that incident in the temple. She continued to praise God. In fact, verse 38 tells us she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Shouldn't that be our response as well? Whoever came to the temple for whatever time she had left on this earth, she told them about Jesus. She knew when people came to the temple that they were looking for God. So in my mind's eye, I just see her sowing seeds into hungry hearts, no matter who they were, that she would say to them, I've seen him, I know him, and you can too. And that ought to be the message that we share with people as well. I've seen him. I know him. And you can too. So that's why with Jesus, who was set for the rise and fall of all who will live upon this earth, that's why we're having a decision Sunday on January 23rd. And it's not the only Sunday that you can make decisions. You can make decisions any Sunday. And we've never, as long as I've known, ever had a specific day that we're, we're calling Decision Sunday. Nothing wrong with doing that. And if anyone comes and gets their questions answered and wants to make a more immediate decision, we will certainly encourage that. We're not going to put them off just for three weeks or whatever. But we pray that people will take the next step and that they will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He's the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you're looking to take that next step and you're not sure just how to do that, the next Lord's Day after the second service Come and be a part of the sessions that we have. Come with your questions, knowing that the other people that are there are coming with their questions as well. There are no dumb questions. All right? Ask the question that you have, because chances are very, very good that the question you ask will be the question someone else wants to ask and might be afraid to ask it. Come and ask. And Larry and I will do our very best to take the scriptures and give you an answer to your questions so you can take the next step. If you're ready to do that today, we encourage you to do it right now as we stand and as we sing. If you want to come and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, if you want to come already having obeyed Him, already having been immersed into Christ for the remission of sins, and you're looking for a home church that you can be a part of, and you want to be a part of New Hope, you can come and do that too. Just come down and meet me in front while we stand and while we sing.